Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. scripture to read today. So go go ahead and turn with me to John chapter number 10. And Alex is going to help me read this passage of scripture. So you don't have to listen to my voice um, for quite, quite as long. And because I love your voice. So John chapter 10, and we're going to skip around a bit in this chapter. Thanks. So I also get the privilege of reading one of my favorite chapters today. Um, So John chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he was brought out all When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, but I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. At that time, the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. The sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much um, for being here today. And I'm, the title of my message is Jesus, My Shepherd. Jesus, My Shepherd. Um, <clears throat> you know, many stories, many illustrations I um, share here at Ramp Church um, are, 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 don't necessarily show my best side. But today, um, I have a bit of a different illustration. Um, probably the most directionally impaired person I know is my wife, Stacy. Um, to the point that she, she has to turn on sat-nav to get to the Tesco that we go to every week. Um, and nine times out of ten, 
if, if, we're go, if we're somewhere we don't know where we are, um, or maybe she doesn't know where we are, and she's just going to choose the direction that we're walking, her default is, nine times out of ten, going to be the opposite direction. Like, example, like we, if we leave a hotel room, and, you know, you don't really know where you are in a hotel, right? So, um, and, but I, there's something about my brain, I just map out. Like, it's, it's like I'm always in tune with, with where I am directionally. Nine times out of ten, we walk out of our hotel room, she's going to turn the opposite direction. But if you've ever met Stacy, she doesn't lack for confidence. So she, she doesn't, like, sheepishly go the wrong way. She, like, confident. Like, confident. Never looks back until finally, I guess, she realizes I'm not with her. And then I'm, I'm kind of like... And, you know, she doesn't like to admit. But she's like, ah, okay, okay. All right, but the funniest part, the funniest thing is when we're driving. And um, anybody have a helper in the car when you're driving? Yeah, Pete, you got a helper too. So I have a helper in the car. And, but the funny thing is, she's aware of her directionally impaired nature. Yet, the question that is most often asked to me when I'm driving is, is this the right way? Are you going the right way? So we, we will, we'll, we'll be driving and I will turn a direction and she's going, are you sure this is the right way? I'm thinking, you never know if we're going the right way or not. Why, why are you challenging my direction? So most of the time, I just look at her and I'm like, she's like, well, okay, I'm just checking. I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. Yes, this is the right way. This is the right way. Um, and I, I think it's amazing. We, we, we kind of adopt this, this mindset toward life sometimes. And I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it's relevant for this message. The most Googled question, the most Googled word um, in, in the year 2020 during the pandemic started with the most Googled question started with the word why for the first time in Google's history. Most of their questions are what questions or how questions. But for the first time in Google's history, the majority of their questions started with the word why. What's behind that? What's behind it is people searching for direction. They're looking for answers. And it is, isn't it amazing that we, we go to a computer, we go to an algorithm, we go to a website, because if you read it on the internet, that makes it true, right? That we go somewhere for direction. And Jesus realized by nature we're creatures who need direction. And that's where John chapter 10 comes in. It's amazing that the way that, jo that Jesus introduces his voice and his leadership in our life is using the motif of a shepherd. And Jesus didn't invent this motif. Actually, all through the Old Testament, there is a motif of shepherding. God expresses such a strong desire to shepherd his people. But it's in, uh, why, why didn't Jesus use a different motif? Why didn't he use the motif of a king and his subjects? Why, why when, he, when he got ready to teach his people, now John chapter 10 is one of Jesus' longest sermons that we have recorded. So you need to pay attention when there's long stretches of material. We know Jesus preached all the time. So, so the gospel writers were really intentional about what they included and what they didn't include. And they included that much. Probably Jesus spoke on it often. And they said, well, we've, we've got to make sure all the different messages we've heard we included in this, this, this chapter, this account of him. So we need to pay attention to this. But why, why would Jesus use that? Why wouldn't he say a king and subjects? Or why wouldn't he say a judge and, my, and his judgments? That the motif that Jesus chose to explain, the way his leadership is not only given but experienced in our life, is that of a shepherd. 
And there's a lot of things lost on us. Any shepherds in the room? I didn't think so. There's a lot of things lost on us because we don't live in an, in an agrarian society, right? So there's a lot of things that, is a, that his initial audience would have caught that we don't naturally keep. One of those is the nature of a carer that's in a shepherd's heart. So Jesus would, would know that his audience immediately would, would remember Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. They're, they're, they're gonna, so when he uses the word, here's my, how my leadership is going to be in your life. He realizes all the people who are listening, they have this, they, their imagination is already richly furnished with, with, all, with the motif throughout the history of, of God in Israel. So he's leaning into this moment and he's saying this, I don't just care about your spiritual well-being, but I care about the well-being of your mind and your emotions. I care about the well-being of your body and your families. I care about the well-being of your finances. I care about the well-being of your, of your whole life. So he's entering into this discord. It's not just about your eternal destination, but this is about your, your well-being and your health in the now. The other thing to me that sticks out, and I'm not going to teach on this, but I just want to highlight it, is Jesus mentions a, 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 a contrasting leader. He mentions the thief. And he says that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We, 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 we quote that a lot, especially in Pentecostal charismatic churches, because we like, then we're, then we're going to yell at the thief for a while. You know, get out of my life, thief. So, so like, it, it empowers a lot of what we do, but the, the, the real reason the thief is in this story is because Jesus is trying to, to draw a contrast between his leadership and every other leadership. And I want to tell you, maybe you are exploring faith today. First of all, welcome. I love that you feel safe enough to be in, in, in a place of worship. And it's a bold move to come into a place of worship. But I want to say this, um, everybody has a shepherd. Something is shepherding your soul. Something is leading you and, and it's leading you somewhere. And you go, oh, no, 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 I, I, nothing's leading me. I, I'm, I, I lead myself. So you're your own soul's shepherd then. So if it's not someone else's leadership, everybody has a shepherd. Everybody has someone who they are following, someone who they are listening to, and someone who they are trusting their very well-being and their future in the hands of. And the introduction of Jesus here, this is, what he's, this, is, this is his idea, is even when I talk about my leadership, I'm going to talk about it in contrast to every other type of leadership. And Jesus' perspective is, anybody who is not me, anybody who's leading you that is not me, including yourself, is a thief. Why is that his perspective? Because uh, in the same way that, that a creator or a designer would view, when you do something with my design that is outside of my intention for that design, you're stealing my design. This is why we have copyright laws. Because when a designer designs something, they have what's called intellectual property rights. Just as the same way as if you own a house or a property, you can demand what happens on that piece of property. Does that make sense? This is the same way with intellectual property. If, 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 if this is why um, people in Silicon Valley in the tech industry, this is why they get rich, is because they create something that's, that's intellectual property, and then they own it, and then they make, they make royalties off of that. You with me? You are the intellectual property rights 
of the creator of the universe. The Bible says it like this. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So when you start to do something with God's design that he didn't originally intend, not only are you seeking an outcome through a different means, that's a different message, but what you're doing is you are putting yourself in the place of designer. This is the sin of Adam and Eve. If you want to take it all the way back, the sin of Adam and Eve is, is, is ultimately this. I, I thank you for all the gifts you've given me, God, but I'm going to do life my way. It was an intellectual property rights violation. They were trespassing on the design of God. And that's why Jesus would have the boldness. For him, it's just A plus B equals C. I mean, it's, it's just rational. That's why you have the boldness to say, anybody else who leads your life, anybody else who is, the, who is in the seat of government in your life is a thief. And their only motivation for wanting to govern your life is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus says, to give you life and life to the fullest. Recently, my car went to car heaven. Actually, knowing my car, it's not in heaven. So we, of course, then we went on, you know, go through and like shop through all Auto Trader and all that and go look at used cars and the whole shebang, you know. It's a stressful, it's a stressful experience, isn't it? Like, you don't know what's happened to this car. Has it hasn't been serviced, has it not? Well, the service history's there. So you go, you go through all of that thing, and I'm not a mechanic. I'm probably not surprised to anybody. I'm not a mechanic, so I'm just, you know, like, can I, can I, can I see the, the engine? I'm like, yep, looks like an engine. <laughs> looks just like an engine. Well, when, when then I talk, when I'm looking through, okay, uh, the new owner's manual, when do I service this? I don't like call up Toyota and go, hey, I know in the owner's manual, like here's your service schedule, but I think, I think you should adjust the service schedule. Well, I, I don't take that kind of approach to my new car. And if I did, they would either laugh at me or they would say, well, sir, you can do that but you will never get out of this car what the designers created this car to do. You, you can, it's your car, right? You, you can use this car, you can service it whenever or infrequently as you want to. But if you want it to, if you want it to be the car that it was designed to be, you're going to have to take care of it and use it the way the designer intended to use it. That's John chapter 10. We come to a place where Jesus is saying, hey, you have leadership in your life. You have autonomy. I want to talk to you about my leadership. And the thief's leadership comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life, to give you flourishing, to give you wholeness, and to give it to you in abundance. So when you live your life in accordance with the design of the designer, you have the fruit that the designer designed you to have. Are you hearing me? Jesus' summarizing statement, and this is really, this is, this is what I'm going to teach on. My teaching is going to be based on this. If, if to me, his, his one phrase from that whole passage that we just read is in, is in verse number 27. And it, this is what he says. My sheep hear, say hear, hear. 
my voice, and I know. Hey, good. I didn't say anything. Okay. And I know them, and they follow. They follow me. That's right. So my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And this is what, this is what I want to get. This is what I want you to get today at the beginning of this message. Hearing is a holistic endeavor. Hearing is a holistic endeavor. And I want to unpack that a bit. I'm going to do it by, by looking at those three words you just said. Not the me word, the other ones. Hear, know, and follow. And I'm, I'm going to teach you a bit of Greek. Are you up for learning a new language today? Now, if you're new to faith, if you're new to Christianity, the, 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 the New Testament was written in a language um, um, called Koine Greek, which was a common language in, in the ancient Near East, really in, in, in the Roman Empire at that time. And if it wasn't your first language, it was generally your second language. So Jesus probably grew up speaking Aramaic. Uh, um, many scholars believe he, he also knew Hebrew, but he, he certainly knew Koine Greek. So it was, it was kind of like the modern day English. When you're, everybody, because everybody knows English, even if your, your native language is a different language, when you get together with somebody, you're probably going to speak English to each other. Does that make sense? That was the Koine Greek. That's why it was written. That's why the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. So it could it spread to as many people as possible across the Roman Empire. So I'm going to teach you Greek words, not because I like to teach you funny words, but because hidden in these words, there, is, there are layers and dynamics of meaning that sometimes are lost in our English translations. Okay? So... The first one is the word hear. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The, word, the first word is the word hear, and that's the Greek word akuo. akuo. Can you say that? Akuo. It's where we get the word acoustic. And it means to hear, to attend to, consider what is and has been said, to understand, perceive the sense of what is said. And if I was, if I was to, 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 to say that in one word, it, would, it, it doesn't just have the connotation of hearing like sound entering your ear, but it means to perceive. Think about the word acoustic. I'm going to grab this guitar right here. Think about the word acoustic. I'm going back in time a little bit here, guys. Going back in time. No, I'm, I'm not going to play anything, I don't think. Do a little ditty. So, we, we all know acoustic guitars, right? This is not plugged up, so I don't think you can hear it. Hey! So, acoustic guitars, they, they, um, they're built around a principle of, of, of resonance, right? So the only reason when I hit this that you can hear it, it's because the, the way the, the body is made, and there's a sophisticated system of bracing, what's called bracing in time, inside the guitar's body, which allows the wood to move, to, to, to resonate, and then that resonance is what produces the sound. It's the interaction between the strings and the wood. And there's a concept in sound, in the science of sound, called sympathetic resonance. Have you heard of sympathetic resonance? So some, some instruments, Eastern instruments especially, are built around sympathetic resonance, um, like a sitar. You know, you know when you play like one string of a sitar, there's all these other tones happening. That's happening because of what's called sympathetic resonance. The way sympathetic resonance works is when you play one note, if there's a string near that note, 
that's related to that string in, in, in a tonal form, or it's the same string, it starts to move all on its own. It's sympathetic to what's being, what's being resounded. And if I could sing, and I could sing that exact note, you can start to hear the, the, the guitar all on its own, start, start to just... You can't hear it. But, but what happens is the string hears its own sound and it starts to vibrate at the same note uh, that it was built to resound. This is the root word that Jesus is using when he's using the word hear. It doesn't just mean sound enters your ear. All right, that's it. That's, that's, that's the extent of my musical, musical yeah, endeavors this morning. All right, yeah, okay, I'll take that. Thank you, A.D. Appreciate you, man of God. So it's not just sound entering your ear. It's something on the inside moves. It's the word acousto. It, 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 it's something inside of you. It's not just sound. It is a resonance on the inside. And this is, this is what I like to think about hearing. And when you're seeking to hear from God, God never intended on just sound entering your ear. He wants something on the inside to move. And I've actually seen people that there, I've even seen this in my own life. There is sometimes a hindrance to hearing God because I'm not prepared to move on the inside. I'm like a fortified city. And I'm begging God to speak but on the inside, ain't nothing moving. Ain't nothing moving. This is what I've realized. This is the principle I've realized, and I want to teach you this today. Your hearing opens as your heart opens. You hearing me? Your hearing opens as your heart opens. I'll prove it to you. Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. This, this verse has always annoyed me. You got verses that annoy you? Do you have any of those? Come on, are you honest in church today? This verse has always annoyed me. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you that it's actually a gift. Then Jesus added, pay close attention to what you hear. The closer you listen, the more understanding you'll be given. And you will receive even more. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what little you understand, even what little understanding you have, it will be taken away. Whoa, that's some crazy stuff. What are you getting out there, Jesus? This is what he said. What is Jesus saying? This is what he's saying. The same internal environment that allowed you to hear the last thing is what positions you to hear the next thing. And when your internal world is not ready to resonate or to perceive what God is wanting to tell you, he's not speaking into that environment. You ready for challenge today? What is Jesus inviting us into? He's inviting us into steward the environment of our own life our own heart. Do you know the, you know the parable of the sower? It's like probably the most preached on parable in the Bible. The parable of the sower is where Jesus comes and he talks about, so a sower comes with the seed and plants the seed. And then 
you know, some seed's stolen, some tries to grow, and then it doesn't, you know, it doesn't grow. But in the end, the good seed bears 30-fold return, 30, 60, 100-fold return, right? We know that story, right? The parable of the sower. To me, really, the parable shouldn't be titled in your Bible, parable of the sower. It should be called parable of the soil. Because the only thing that changes in that parable is not the seed or the sower. The thing that changes is the environment of the soil, where the seed lands. And what Jesus is getting at here is to be people who hear him speak, to be sheep and he is my shepherd, doesn't just mean sound enters my ear, doesn't just mean his words enter my eyeballs. It means there's a, there's a posture of the heart where I am ready to perceive what he is saying. Something in me resonates. Practically, this means that my view of God is really important when I'm listening to him speak. Can I just be transparent with you today? Um, I, I, I think, I don't know if it's my past, the way I grew up, but I'm, I'm really like, one of my weaknesses is I'm very performance oriented. And I've imported that into my relationship with God. So it's often the way I view myself is like, how well am I doing or how much have I accomplished or, you know, what can I count in my life? And like, how does that make me feel about myself? Or uh, those sorts of like measurements. And I import that into my relationship with God. And then I think when he tells me something, I often take it through a performance-oriented filter. So I'm not perceiving rightly what he's trying to say. He's speaking about one thing and I'm hearing another. Does that make sense? So it's incredibly important, our view of God. So how do, how do you view God? Is he an absentee landlord or father when he speaks to you? Is he a judging committee constantly rating your performance? Is he a master with ceaseless need for you to serve him? Is he a dictator who thrives on controlling you? Is he a big man on an ego trip waiting to trick you, but he'll ultimately disappoint? Your hearing comes alive as your ideas of God become rooted in the person of Jesus. Your hearing comes alive as your ideas of God become rooted in the person of Jesus. So what do you do? What do you do? How, how do we solve this, this problem? And the good thing is it's quite simple, and you have the answer in your hand. And you may not have one of these old-fashioned things called books, um, but you do have a smartphone. And... What, what do you do? It's, it's really simple. How do, we, how do we turn our hearing into perception? This is, this is your homework. Say, I'm ready. You read until you hear. You read scripture until it moves your heart. That's what you do. And you know, sometimes for me, I open, I open scripture up. This is the rarity. <laughs> Sometimes I open and it's one verse and it's like, I mean, it is like, it just blew up in my heart and the rest of my prayer life, the rest of my prayer morning, like, it is like, yes, I am on fire. And I, but do you know, most mornings it isn't like that. Most mornings it is verse after dry verse. <laughs> Anybody else? Am I the only one? But like, I'm, I'm not coming to Ram Church anymore. I want to go to a place where a pastor gets revelation every day. Sorry. It is dry verse after dry verse. But you know what I'm after? I'm after what is God breathing on today? What do you do when you want to make sure you're hearing 
your shepherd. You read until something moves you. Sometimes it's a word or a phrase or a story. But when you found that thing that moves you, what are you hearing? You're hearing the shepherd's voice. Until then, it's just words on a page entering your mind. But when it leaps in your heart, when sympathetic resonance, when something on the inside moves, what is that? It's the shepherd's voice. Why doesn't it happen on the first verse? I don't know. I'm not the shepherd. But I do know this, there's something in my life that's been developed through that seeking, that persistence, that waiting. I, someone preached on waiting a couple weeks ago, right? And that waiting, that pressing in to find his voice. And sometimes that journey all by itself is enough to change us. So the first thing that we learn about, about our shepherd and hearing his voice is that his sheep hear his voice and hearing is perceiving its resonance. This, the second thing is about knowing. Knowing. And knowing is the Greek word gnosko. Say gnosko. You guys are practically Greek. And I love that Jesus used this word. Because the word gnosko means a knowledge grounded in personal experience. And he could have used other words that are used throughout the New Testament. Um, he, he could have used ido, which is a purely mental perception. He could have used epistemi, which is a knowledge from observation. Or he could have used suniami, which means understanding or comprehension. It means to put different pieces together. It's like solving a puzzle. But he used experiential knowledge. This is the same knowledge that the Bible, this is the same word that the Bible in other places says Adam knew Eve. I don't need to get more explicit than that, do I? Adam knew Eve, and they, had, they bore a son, right? Joseph knew Mary, and Jesus was, they bore, right? It wasn't Jesus. Don't worry, about, don't worry about your pastors. That wasn't Jesus. That was another son. That was James. Teaching some crazy things here at Ram Church this morning. But he didn't use that word. He used the word genosko, which is an experiential knowledge. In Hebrew thought, to know is to experience. It's to, be in to, it's to be in relationship with. It's not simply to grasp intellectually or logically. Um, anybody tell me what this is? It's not, great, you, you know what this is. It's an apple. but I know what it is in a different way. Does that make sense? And if we stop at knowing the name of something, but not knowing it, we're not entering into the invitation of the shepherd and the sheep. And sometimes we are satisfied to know in name. You hearing me? To, to know by label, to know by someone else's description. But the invitation of the sheep and shepherd, the invitation of John 10, the invitation to be a part of the flock of God. <coughs> I may need some water. The invitation of John 10 is not just to hear, it's to perceive. It's not just for sound to enter my ear, it's, it's to resonate. And it isn't just to know in name, it's to experience. 
But in case you're wondering, oh, I just want to tell a quick story. I don't really have time for this, but can I tell a story? It's a story of Job. Anybody, anybody love Job? I'm so thankful for Job. Job spent chapters questioning God. I just love Job. Thank you. Oh, thank you, but for Alex. I hate you. So, <clears throat> Job, Job spent chapters questioning, questioning God. Job spent chapters questioning God. And the reason is because his life was living hell. Job's life was living hell. So he literally spent chapters, he spent chapters reminding God about all the things he'd done in his life that deserve for him not to have a cruddy life. Chapters. And then God turns around, oh, this is amazing, and spends four entire chapters saying, Job, where were you when the world was formed? And spends four chapters unloading on Job. Like, bro, I appreciate you've lived a good life, but you have no idea who you're talking to. Four chapters. And then this was Job's response. Ah, this is what he says. Job chapter 42, verse 5. I had only heard about you before. This is what he tells God. But now I have seen you with my own eyes. What's the invitation of the shepherd and the sheep? To move from this place of hearing about a God, hearing about a shepherd, to seeing him with your own eyes. It's to experientially know God. It's not just to know that's an apple, know that's a God, know that's a Christian, know that's, know that's the, the, the life of prosperity that he's called me to. No, 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 it's not that. It's to, it's to eat it. Wow. This is why God still has, this is why Jesus put communion in place. Because it's not just, we don't just remember thematically the death and resurrection of Jesus. We ingest it into our body. Give it a couple hours, you can't separate it from your very being. That's the kind of experience that God's called us to. But yet, I've kind of been misleading you a little bit. Because the verse actually doesn't say you, you knowing Jesus. Jesus actually says, my sheep will hear my voice and I will know them. So just in case you've disqualified yourself from, from what I'm saying, because you're saying, well, those kind of encounters with God, that's only for super spiritual people. Anybody can be known by God. That the verse is actually not just an invitation for you to know God. The verse is an invitation for God to know you. And you may think, oh man, it's really hard to know God. But do you know sometimes it's actually hard to be vulnerable enough for God to know the real me. But that's actually the invitation of John chapter 10. The focus of Jesus' teaching about following is not that we experience him. It's that he experiences us. And do you know that this is where repentance starts? It's about being willing for God to see every crack and crevice and corner and closet of my heart and mind. And I actually realized, actually what qualifies to me, me to be a sheep is not some radical, life-changing, let's write a book about it encounter with God. 
It's that I have an openness and a willingness for God to look at any part of my life without reservation, without resistance, without hindrance. That's today where our journey with the shepherd starts. This is what that means. <clears throat> to know Gnosko, to know Jesus, is to move from asking his advice to giving him access. To know Jesus is to move from seeking his answers to honoring his authority. I know that's a bad word in modern culture. But that's, that's what it means to be known by him. We hear his voice and then we are known by him. We allow him to see every part of our life. So what do we do? What do we do? The, the first thing we do at our last point was we read until he speaks. We read until he moves our hearts. The second thing you do is it's time to get real with God. It's time for you to get real with God. You open up to God, Job. You open up to God until he opens up to you. Why do I think God felt the liberty to give a four-chapter discourse to Job? Because Job just, Job just let it all hang out to God. Here's all my thoughts. Here's all my fears. Here's all my concerns. Here's what I think about you, God. Here's what I think you should have done and you didn't do. Here's what you promised me but never came through on. But most of us, we, we never say that to God. We'll say that to others. We'll say that to ourselves. We'll brood on it, right? We'll drive for hours, just get my anger out on the road or something. I don't know, whatever you do, whatever your coping mechanisms are. But let, you, let me tell you what to do. You, you need to engage with the shepherd. You need to come into the shepherd's presence, Job. Come on. You come into the shepherd's presence and you give him access. You open up to God. And what's going to be on the other end of that is he's going to open up to you. That's the promise of the shepherd. They will hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Say follow. Follow is the Greek word akalutheo. It's a mouthful, right? <clears throat> akalutheo. This word's used often in the New Testament. 92 times it's used in the New Testament. And it means... To follow. <laughs> means to follow the one who proceeds, join him as his attendant, accompany him. The literal translation means to be in the same way with. And one of my favorite things about this word and that it's used so frequently in the New Testament is it helps us frame our understanding of even what Christianity is. And if I, I fully believe in life-changing decisions, okay? I, I think decisions can be milestones upon our life. But following Jesus is not a one-time decision, right? I can, I can have a milestone in my life's journey that says I am now, this is a turning point, I've now made the decision to give my life to Jesus, but it is not a one-time thing. Um, otherwise, God just may, he should just take us. Like, you know what I mean? Like, life's hard enough, you know? Like, I made the decision to give my life to Jesus. Can you just take me now? Because that would be awesome. But that's, that's not what it is. It, it, it is a life in the same way of Jesus. It is a following of him. 
And what I love about the word is it implies that he's going somewhere. Because there's no need to follow if, if Jesus isn't going somewhere, right? It, 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 otherwise, it would just be like, sit with him. <laughs> hang out with him. Some of our Christian lives, they look like that. We're just going to hang with Jesus. That's not the invitation. The invitation is to hang with him. The invitation is to follow him. We're going to go in the same way as. And that brings up another um, uh, bad word in today's culture, the word obedience. I hate that word. I don't, anybody else just don't like to be told what to do? That's me. Obedience. Follow, following is centered around obedience. And because they're joined together in Jesus' message in John 10, we can conclude that the biblical vision is that they're inseparable. Hearing can stop short of following and simply be admiration. You can hear Jesus' words, be impressed by his wisdom and insight, but following requires that you do what you've heard. You know, I don't think Jesus ever intended for someone, he never spoke anything with the idea that someone wouldn't be interested in following. It's not like he's like, this is an intellectual pursuit. The Sermon on the Mount. I mean, his whole intention is that this word, shepherd and sheep, this word that you're hearing is falling in the context of a life that is following. Are you hearing me? So when he speaks, we will never perceive and know if it's not in the context of, I'm already following. And we don't think about knowledge that way, especially in the West. We don't think about it. We, we think about Jesus as like one option, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to go this direction, and my parents have told me their opinion. You know, my professor told me their opinion. I've thought about, you know, from my past experience, and now I'm just kind of wanting, wanting to know what God wants to say about it. Like one, one option, Right? But God doesn't even speak into those scenarios. Because his word presupposes I'm committed to say yes to it. Are you hearing me? It's not something we study disconnected objectively. Like what's the objective word of God? There is no objective word of God. It's always, it's always, it is always given into the context of a life that's fully given to him. I'm not saying that he's not into journeys and all of us are on our own journey with God, right? I'm not saying there's not nuance. That's not what I mean. I mean, there's a context to what he's saying. It's this, in the same way, my kids never hear me and not hear from their dad. It's not that I was like, well, dad, I don't know if what you just said is objectively true. Well, if my kid said that, I would be like, oh. Let me tell you what is objectively true. You're grounded. That's, I don't care how, how you look at it, what you compare that to, the end result, you're grand, right? Now, they don't say that because there's always the context of relationship. You're my dad, I'm your son. Like that context is built into the word. Knowing, hearing, knowing, following. Akalutheo. This is Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and akalutheo me. After this, Jesus, uh, Luke 5, 27, 28. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Akalutheo me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and akalutheo him. Matthew 19, 21. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come akalutheo me. 
John 8, 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, Akalutheo, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Matthew 10, 39, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. That's the invitation of following. It's not because Jesus is impressed by followers. He's not on Instagram. There's no metrics. You know, it's not like he's like, well, how long did they look at the photo? Did they click through the photo? Did they click on it? Did they click the link in my bio? No, he's, he's not impressed by that. He's not on an ego trip. He knows that when you follow, you find life. That's what he knows. He knows that in your hearing and knowing and following, you find him. And this is what's amazing. The world around us is obsessed with gaining influence, with leadership. But the biblical story exalts not leadership, but followership. Waterstones is full of titles about leadership. I'm always reading a leadership something, podcast, book. But I have never walked in Waterstones. It's like 21 irrefutable laws of following. Right, nobody's going to read that. That's not going to sell anything. But if Jesus was to write a book, he kind of did. That's what it would be about. Because Jesus knows the only influence that matters is influence that is gained or exercised out of my followership. It's not influence that's gained by any other means. But it's just along the way. It's just a byproduct of me following him. That's all it is. And I'm not obsessed with it. I'm not seeking it. I'm not looking for it. I'm not interested in it. I'm not exalting it. It doesn't give me a bad day when it's not there. It doesn't give me a good day when it is there. Because the only thing that gives me a good day or a bad day is how close I am to him. That's it. How close am I, am I to the one I'm following? What's he doing? Is he going left? Is he going right? Is he eating an apple? Is he kicking an apple? What's he doing? Right? What is he doing? It's my followership. That is my source of identity. It isn't anything you can count. It's not something you can tell somebody else about. It's just like, it's, how close am I to this guy? Am I hearing? Am I known by him? And am I following to follow Jesus is to, is to move from receiving inspiration to receiving instruction. It's to move from seeking God's opinion to walking in obedience. And if you can understand John 10, you've got to understand it's not just about hearing because this, this is the posture. This is the posture. The posture is I'm ready to hear. Say hear. Because I'm ready to know. Say no. Because I'm ready to follow. That's the context for God's voice. I'm ready to hear because I'm ready to know because I'm ready to follow. And sometimes the journey is getting me ready to know. It's getting me ready to hear. So I'm not saying if, that's not, if you're not there yet, keep, keep seeking. Because sometimes God hasn't spoken because what he's doing is he's preparing your heart to hear what he says. He's drawing you into a place where the environment of your heart is ready and it's going to do the right thing with his word. Prayer, sometimes the reason why we don't get an immediate answer to prayer is because what prayer is doing is it's rewiring my circuitry. It's rearranging the furniture of my imagination. It's, it's, re, it's reworking my value system. Because God knows if I speak into that internal environment right there, it's going to be some bad stuff's going to happen from that. And then he's going to tell everybody else God told him to do it. You know how many awful things have been done because God said it? That's what people say. Well, God told me. I don't know if that's what he said. I mean, 
Maybe that's the words he used, but are you sure you heard him right? Because context matters, doesn't it? And God knows that. So he wants to speak into a life that's ready, a heart that's willing, and I'm ready to follow. Stand to your feet. Band, come on.